You're listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. I'm Aaron Fishman, flying solo today as far as hosts are concerned, but we do have CSN California Sacramento Kings insider James Ham joining me. James's seven seasons covering the team coincide perfectly with DeMarcus Cousins' tenure with the franchise. So who better than James to break down the biggest NBA trade to go down in years? To sum things up, Cousins went to New Orleans for a well-deserved third straight All-Star appearance. Meanwhile, trade talk between the Pelicans and the Kings heated up. The blockbuster deal was struck by the end of the weekend. Along with Omri Caspi, Cousins was sent to the Pelicans, with the Kings landing Buddy Heald, Tyreek Evans, Langston Galloway, a top three protected first round pick, and a second round pick. Many analysts are criticizing the Kings for various aspects of the move, but as James explains, it's a heck of a lot more complicated than that. Geek out on this edition of the DeMarcus Cousins Saga, starring James Hamm. James, it's the end of an era. DeMarcus Cousins is gone. I know you've been really busy, but outside of that, how are you feeling? You know, to be honest with you, I think everyone around the team is tired. I mean, we're it's been a long week. I mean, Sunday kind of blew up out of nowhere, and then it's been nonstop since then. We had Vlade Divac on Monday. Uh, we had, you know, first practice back on Tuesday with players, but the new guys weren't there yet. Then on Wednesday, the new players came in. We had another practice late at night, uh, and then a game, of course, on Thursday night where the Sacramento Kings shocked the Denver Nuggets. I think people are starting to realize that that this is that the era is over and they've got to move on and uh, I thought Kings fans were spectacular on Thursday night they're really leery at first but uh, giving a standing ovation to Tyreek Evans when he came in the game giving a standing ovation to Buddy Heald when he came in the game and then really to uh, the emotions of the night watching the Kings just battle the Nuggets all the way down the stretch to see fans for the, like the last two minutes of the game on their feet applauding the team and just giving a standing O to, you know, just say, we got you. We're all right. You know, we survived the the Band-Aid ripping off of DeMarcus Cousins leaving. I've been really excited to talk to you about this because I think you're uniquely qualified. You've been around the team and DeMarcus Cousins for a long time. Part of that time I was there, not that much. So let's just dig into the details. First, I wanted to start with the timing of the trade. It was made a couple weeks after the Kings publicly proclaimed that Cousins was off the market. At the beginning of All-Star availability, Cousins also gave this heartfelt response on the radio, seemingly very genuine at least, saying he's loyal to the city and that this is part of his legacy to bring them a championship. But also, of course... Their leverage was diminishing by the day, as you wrote, and Vladi also claimed. Just talk me through the timing of the trade, the pros and cons that they had to weigh. You know, it's really difficult. The pros are that, 
that you're you're rebooting the franchise completely, that you're going in a completely different direction that uh, sort of, you know, I've covered DeMarcus since his rookie season. Like I, my seven years covering the Sacramento Kings coincide with DeMarcus Cousins being drafted and coming into the franchise. And I've watched a young 19-year-old kid who made a ton of mistakes uh, grow into a, a very, very good, uh, even great NBA player uh, who still made certain amount of mistakes, but who had grown up like uh, tremendously over the course, course of his career. But when you're the Sacramento Kings and you're looking at the timing of this and and how it all works out, I mean, you had to make a decision. Do you give DeMarcus Cousins $219 million and basically tie yourself to him for the next six years, knowing that once he's in year two of that contract, there's virtually no way to trade him because you're looking at a 40 or $50 million salary per year, and those types of salaries are impossible to move, even because the salary cap hasn't quite caught up to what this 35% means. And so the Kings had to really make a decision on which direction. And there were trade rumors and they they tried to squash those trade rumors and they went to Cousins and they met him at his house and they said, look, we want to hold on to you. We want you to be here a long time, but we also need you to kind of figure out your stuff. And, and you know, we're we're in year seven. You're 26 years old. Just during this season alone, he had got uh, into this situation with Matt Barnes in New York he had gotten into three separate situations with members of the media, which two of which boiled out of control pretty heavily. One of which was just, you know, him approaching a, a, a reporter and, and having words. Uh, and then on top of that, 17 technicals, a suspension for technical fouls, one more tech, and he sits another game, and an additional $25,000 fine for yelling at a Warriors fan uh, following a game in early February. So, I mean, while Cousins has improved and he's a much better person and player and everything that he was when he was 19, but when you add all those things up and you you look at them and then you say, can we tie ourselves to him for another six years? Now, this isn't me speaking. This is them. Mm -hmm. They made the decision that at some point they couldn't do that anymore. And, uh, you know, basically the way it lays out is very quickly. I mean, on Thursday, they meet him at his house and have this discussion on Saturday. He goes into the Warriors game, picks up his 14 tech, then yells at a fan coming off the court and gets a $25,000 fine. Another two days later on Tuesday, I think it is, they play the Chicago Bulls and he picks up two more techs, is ejected and picks up his 16th technical, which means he's suspended for the Boston game. The Kings came out against Boston, played out of their minds, played team effort, everyone smiling, everyone having a great time, and they sort of shocked the world by taking out the Celtics. And the front office said, you know what? Maybe this is the direction we need to go. Maybe we just need to go away from the DeMarcus Cousins era and start fresh and give ourselves all a break and not tie ourselves down to a massive contract mm -hmm. that would have came back you know, maybe to bite them in the butt, but if three years from now this team is still a 35-win team and you got to go a different direction, there was no way to move him. Yeah. And so that's what they understood. And so while it was difficult, they chose to rip the Band-Aid off and just, you know, go, okay, that hurt. But at the same time, it hurt and let's heal. Let's heal afterwards. And 
I think their timing of it was horrific. I think the NBA, it has to be out of their mind angry. I know that Dan Fagan and Jaron Akana, uh, his uh, cousin's representation, are absolutely livid with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they basically just cost Cousins at least, at a bare minimum, I think it's $40 million, and, and that's huge. And I think a lot of teams around the league are a little – they're looking around and saying, man, I, I just don't know what to make of those guys. And so they're going to have to pay the piper for their decisions and the way that they handled themselves, the way that they told him they weren't going to trade him and then turned around and traded him. But at the same time, I think there's a larger narrative that they – have and that they want to put forth and it's understandable i mean it really is because if you look at this trade if this happens three years from now and you're dealing with the same pelicans team i mean you would have to take on a jinka and a sheik and like solomon hill and and now i mean now it becomes like a seven for one swap just because of the salary alone and it just this was the moment where they had to decide either lock him up forever or walk away. Yeah, they definitely had to make a decision. I think it's a general consensus that they got less than market value for him. Some people argue a lot, actually, that they just got fleeced. I think, and I think I'm in the minority in this, that they possibly got a decent return, even though it obviously it's less than market value. But let's start with the first two. So, they're getting Tyreek Evans back. They drafted him at 19 years old in 2009. They were under different ownership then and management. But um, he spent four seasons with the team, including a rookie season where he averaged 25-5. and five. He's had a number of lower body injuries since. So he's not the player he once was, but a lot of good memories. I think people are nostalgic about his time there. And then there's clearly a lot of optimism for Buddy Heald's potential. Touch on those two. Yeah, I think Tyreek is not the player he was before, but that's physically. Mentally, he's very similar. I haven't watched a lot of Tyreek, even when he was here playing against the Kings uh, like a couple of weeks ago when uh, the Pelicans were in town. We didn't see that much of him because he was on a minute restriction. But what I saw in the Denver game is things that I had forgotten covering him for three seasons. And that is, you know, a lot of dribbling, a lot of one-on-one action. He still can create for others, which I think is really good because the Kings have a lot of finishers around the rim. Willie Cauley-Stein, Scal, Lebisier, uh, these guys can, if you're not body-to-body on them, they're going to hammer on you. And so that's going to be fun to watch because he can break you down. Um, it gives the Kings another another guard option on the floor, and that's something that they've struggled with over the course of you know the last couple of seasons is that they have guys like Ben McLemore who can score, but they're not natural playmakers for anyone else and you know not great ball handlers. And so I think he can take a lot of pressure off of Buddy Heald. I think he can take some of the pressure off of Darren Collison and allow Darren Collison to play off the ball a little bit more. You know, Ty Lawson and him will probably play a little bit together. But again, it just gives you that second that second ball handler on the floor at all times. And a guy who can score. If you get into crunch time and you need a guy to take somebody off the dribble, he still does have the ability to do to to play isolation basketball. And so again, he's not the same player. His lower leg issues have been. I mean, he's had countless knee uh, procedures. He's he's got an ankle issue. I mean, I was surprised watching him move 
that he was not nearly as fluid as he as he once was, and he's only 27 years old, which is pretty shocking. Um, maybe he recovers and he's he's better next year, but he's only under contract this season for the for the Kings. And then Buddy Hill, just take this this whatever someone said that they heard that Vivek Ranadive compared him to Steph Curry. You know, yeah, at I the think end Baxter of the day, Holmes, he had a source, I guess, that said that. Yeah, I, I mean that's that's nice, and Vivek is an easy target because he does stuff all the time that sort of makes him a target. We'll talk about that. Trust me. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that. I'm sure, but yeah. at the at the same time, just for anyone who is a Kings fan that might listen to this, just take that and throw that out the window. He he's not Steph Curry. He can average 14 to 16 points a game in the in the pros. He could also struggle, but. From what I saw of him in limited action on on Thursday, a very nice teardrop in in the lane. I thought he handled the ball well. He was able to take guys off the dribble. I thought his defensive prowess was better than what people have talked about. And he even talked about like not being critiqued the whole time, which I found very strange. But someone in, in New Orleans was critiquing him quite heavily, it sounded like like after games and you know and he kind of felt free to move around and do what he wanted to do the kings are young and they're fun and they've got four first round picks from the 2016 draft and they've got willie Cauley stein from the 2015 draft they potentially have two more first round picks in the 2017 draft and then bogdan bogdanovich so you're looking at the potential to have eight young players as your core and a whole lot of cap space to build around so those guys again i don't know that Tyreek Evans will be here next season. Uh, probably not, just because he'll probably go chase money uh, somewhere else. But you never know. Maybe he feels comfortable back at home where he got his start for four years early in his career. Okay. Yeah, and I know the fans love him. I mean, as soon as he walked on the floor, just standing ovation. I mean, the the fans were gave him a very, very nice welcome. And even in the locker room afterwards, he talked about, like, man, you just forget what the fans are like here. And, buddy, same thing, like – you know, almost like, holy cow, my back in college? This is crazy. It was good to see him get that reception and also just to play so well the first game. It's funny, a couple of responses ago, it sounded like you said that the Kings had to rip off the Band-Aid and healed. I think you said heal, but it <laughs> sounded like healed. Yeah, get, get get some healing in. But yeah, maybe it's buddy heal, healing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they'll get some healing too. Also, so... They got some draft picks, a first-round pick and a second-round pick. I know the New Orleans one is top three protected, and the 76ers can still swap first-round picks with them, but it's regarded as a pretty deep 2017 draft class. How important was that in the trade, even though they didn't get a second first-round pick? Yeah, you know what? I think everyone uh, is kind of hearing now that one of the potential deals, possibly even the potential deal that Vladi Divac talked about, was that they were going to get a second first-round pick from the Pelicans, but it didn't play out that way. There, we might get an agent play. We might. I, I mean, there was some strong arming here that went on, and and it really constricted the value of Cousins going out the door. When you're taking on a player of that stature, and no one. And they're told specifically he will not re-sign anywhere because whoever takes him on is costing him 40 million bucks. That kind of constricts what you're going to do. So the the first round pick is it's top three protected in year one. In year two, three, and four, it is top one protected. And then it's unprotected in 2021. The chance of the Kings not getting the pick 
either this year or next year is literally like they're i mean i don't even want to know what the percentages are but they're less than a percent i mean they will between maybe somehow they don't get it this year but in order for the pelicans to lose enough games to get into the top three uh this year and then to win the top pick next year in the draft that would just have to be uh minnesota timberwolves lucky um (laughs) or and i don't even know if that's it's more like Cleveland Cavaliers lucky, right? Mm-hmm. The guys who who win it twice in a row. I, that's just not going to happen because, I mean, you would hope that they're going to be a pretty decent team, that the Pelicans are going to be a pretty decent team. And I don't know if they're a playoff team. And I don't know what putting a another, well, a guy who his usage percentage was second in the NBA to Russell Westbrook in DeMarcus Cousins, what that means putting him next to another high usage rate big. Uh, neither one of which, you know, brings the ball up the court. Well, Cousins does about half the time, but that's that's a whole nother story. Hmm. So I, I don't know what that pick is going to be, but it's a, it's a solid pick. And it's uh, the way that this thing could play out is it could be like the 14th, 15th, 16th pick. But it could also be the sixth pick in the draft because I don't know that that thing's going to work. And then on top of that, the Kings also picked up a second round pick which it's the Philadelphia 76ers second round pick. It's an early second round pick from what I know. So that's actually a pretty solid second round pick to yeah. add to your and arsenal. It's a, right, and it's a deep draft. So that could be like maybe a late first round in another year potentially. Exactly, exactly. And that's what the Kings are saying. Hey, this is a really, really nice second round pick. And then so the Kings have two other issues that they have to deal with. Their own pick right now, they're in the playoff hunt. So they're, I, I think, the 11th, 12th you know, 13th, right around there. So if they fall outside of the top 10, the pick goes to Chicago. If they fall inside of the top 10, then Philadelphia has a right to swap picks. So it's a really strange pick that can move up and down. But I think a lot of people were worried initially that Philadelphia would steal the pick because Philadelphia was playing better. The Kings weren't playing that great. Now there's like a three or four game gap between the two. And Philly, of course, traded Nerlens Noel and Ilasova at the deadline and kind of gave up on this season again. And so I think the the chances of a pick swap are reduced heavily unless somehow the Kings land in the top three and then get their pick stolen, which would be just absolutely dramatic. But they would get Philadelphia. It's just it's a pick swap. They would be able to get Philadelphia's pick. And then you have this other problem that what if taking DeMarcus Cousins out of this situation doesn't just release all of the pressure from this franchise and all of a sudden they go on a a win streak and all of a sudden they win the eight seed and you give up your pick and so the kings could either have two good picks or they could have one pick they get swapped or they could have just one pick you know there's some variables here that could happen but I, i still think that they have some pieces it's interesting no one is picking the kings to make the playoffs including me and i think that would be a really exciting development if they just proved the doubters wrong. Everyone said that you don't have cousins now. You're you're just tanking and and starting the rebuild. That would be a cool moment. I think finally end that long drought. I want to get to Vivek Ranadive now. We alluded to this earlier. There's a perception, fair or not, you can address that that he's too hands on with basketball decisions like these. How closely does that match the reality of his tenure from your reporting? 
you know, I, I know that he's got his fingers in every pie in the organization. And I, like in this situation, he was convinced to trade to DeMarcus by management as as it got closer and closer to the deadline. He was pretty adamant about not trading DeMarcus, and he has been for the last, I don't know, what what year he took over the team. What, what are we, four years into the Vivek Ranadive reign in Sacramento? So, look, every owner in the league. So, like, don't let anyone tell you that that an owner doesn't sign off on a massive trade. If you're trading the cornerstone, if, if you're deciding on whether to give DeMarcus $219 million or trade DeMarcus Cousins, either way, Vivek Ranadive is involved in that decision. Right. Any ownership group is going to be involved in that decision. I mean, if we're talking about the Golden State Warriors and they're deciding whether it's Steph Curry to pay him or trade him, Joe Lacob is, is in the room. So let's not fool ourselves and act like, you know, he's like out on an island here doing crazy things. Now, does he do other crazy things? Sure. I mean, does he say things that everyone looks at and go, hmm, uh, I'm not quite sure where you're, where you're going there? Yes. Is he the right owner for the Sacramento Kings going forward? I don't know the answer to that. Um, but what I do know is he has no problems opening up his checkbook and that he was really loyal to, to DeMarcus Cousins. But he became enamored with Buddy Heald, which might actually tell you how management was able to shift him away from DeMarcus, that they got him to fall in love with Buddy. So when they made the deal with the Pelicans, that he was on board Um, because he's like uh, Buddy Heald even already told us he had told Buddy Heald the last two times they played against him, hey, you know, we loved you during the draft. We're still going to try to get you. <laughs> and Buddy's like, oh, okay, sweet, nice, thanks. You yeah, know, like, I heard I, that. I, I, don't know what you, I don't know what you say there if you're Buddy Heald. Like, hey, cool, thanks, man. You know? Yeah, but that's flattering time, but awkward, definitely. Yeah, but it, it also tells you that that, that is yeah. one of the reasons why this trade happened. And that's, you know, yeah. you hear that there were two trades brought to Vivek to ownership and and they mold over the two trades and they chose this one and they chose this one because he loves buddy healed and and that's fine i think the thing is she's obviously paying close attention and of course every owner would be in the room and have a veto over a, a big decision like this for your franchise but then again the minutia of it how he's analyzing players around the league without much basketball personnel experience i think that's what gives a lot of people skepticism oh i i would agree 100 percent. i mean i think that that's that's a huge issue but i'll also tell you this that over my course of covering him and what two groups three groups now of of management uh jeff petrie was there just for a little while and just to make king's fans just cringe Jeff Petrie had a dossier, like a giant binder, on uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. He had scouted him almost exclusively, and that was the the selection he was going to take with what the with the Ben McLemore pick. And Pete D'Alessandro came in and just said, "Well, thanks, see ya." And, and then two weeks later, drafted Ben McLemore and ignored the dossier that they had produced. I mean, they had he had flown to Greece to scout him himself. Uh, yeah. Jeff Petrie had. So yeah. just to make things fans feel really, really crappy about the situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not going to like that anecdote, but I like it. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's when you're looking too. at yeah, the overall package of what's happened here in Sacramento over the course of time, it's just there's a lot of instability. There's a lot of ups and downs. And, you know, have they made mistakes? Yeah, they've made a bunch of mistakes. You know, Nick Stauskas was a mistake. Uh, you know, you don't have to list them. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. yeah. So do you believe that Divots has the autonomy now to do a good job and also just briefly just assess how he's done in general so far and if he's improving? Well, I think he's improving, and I think Ken Catanella really helped that as well. But then again, he's always going to be graded on this DeMarcus Cousins thing. And and there could be a chance that he's gone this summer, and they let someone else do the talent evaluation and, and go make this pick. You just don't know. I mean, that, that's the way this franchise has, has kind of gone, um, that, that it's always fluid. Now, I think if you really look at some of the things he did, that he's getting – you know, just grilled for the the Philadelphia pick swap and salary dump that he did. And, you know, again, these things, they always have to be looked at in such a longer window, in my opinion. And you can point at him and say, you know, you gave up a, a future first round pick and two pick swaps for, and you gave up all these players and Nick Stauskas to Philadelphia. But Philadelphia also paid in the end, if they don't get any of the pick swaps and they just get the 2019 draft pick, they paid $30 million for that. And I know people want to bash on him all day long for that. But at the end of the day, could they have just waived Carl Landry and uh, Jason Thompson and use a stretch provision? Sure, they could have. But at the same time, you do still have to pay the money. I, I think people need to remember that. Yeah. You have to pay all that salary. It's not like you just get to say, hey, see you guys. Have a good day. <laughs> I mean, that that actually, it's $30 million. And so that's one thing. And then if you look at some of the things he's done, I, I love Costa Kufis. I think Costa Kufis on an $8 million a year contract, every team in the league would love to have Costa Kufis. The Kings have fielded calls because people want Costa Kufis. And he's under contract for another two years at $8 million a year. I think Marco Bellinelli was a complete disaster, but you understood why he did it. He's a three-point shooter that can do a lot of things. He just got here and was like, yeah, uh, thanks for the money. I don't want to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. And you know, they roll that into a first-round pick. They got a first-round pick for Marco Bellinelli, and people completely ignore that. The Rondo situation, disaster. But he got you through a season, and then you said goodbye to him. So did you use that cap space wisely? Absolutely not. But then if you look at this season, I think Aaron Aflalo has not lived up to his potential. I think Matt Barnes was a bit of a disaster. You know, on the court, he wasn't that bad. Off the court, you know, all kinds of things going on. Uh, but then if you look at Garrett Temple, Garrett Temple, absolute steal. Anthony Tolliver, great addition. Uh, you look at Ty Lawson, absolutely spectacular, both in the locker room, and he's been really good on the floor. So it's not like every move he's made has just been an epic blunder. Mm-hmm. I think he has shown improvement. I think he's always going to get graded on one transaction, maybe two both of which he'll be graded negatively on. But I think you have to let it play out, right? You have mm-hmm. to see if this team becomes better and they move on without DeMarcus. And then you also have to consider the the other side too. What if DeMarcus is DeMarcus in New Orleans and he implodes and he takes down that group with him? And yeah. like, not that I'm saying that's going to happen, but there's a potential there. He's never made the playoffs and while he hasn't had a great team around him every time, great players usually figure it out by now. And, you know, seven years in, he hadn't. And so you have to look at 
everything. And you have to look at it over a three-year window. You can't just look at it like right now, this is what happened, unless that's a deal you did where you gave up everything and you got absolutely nothing back. Earlier, you mentioned the outside possibility of the Kings making the playoffs this season. To what extent are they all in on the rebuild, even though they just opened up a new arena? You know what? I think they look at this and say, we're all in on a rebuild, 100%. Again, I just you know gave you an avenue where they could have eight players that are under rookie deals at one time that are basically all first-round picks. And that says rebuild. And especially since none of them are what you would consider blue chips. Buddy Hill is the highest pick. I think it's six. I think uh, the same with Willie Cauley-Stein, six or seven. They're all right around there. But we're not talking about the ace in the hole. You didn't get a top three pick in one of the great drafts of this era, at least not to date. And actually, I don't think they have any ability to get a top three pick in this draft unless both them and Philadelphia both moved into the top three. That's the only way that could happen, which is bizarro. But, you know, they have a ton of cap space. They have a ton of ability to create more cap space. You know, again, free. they saved over $10 million in the DeMarcus Cousins deal for next season. Rudy Gay off the books next season. Darren Collison, uh, a free agent. Ben Mackmore can be a free agent. Aaron Flolo, you can buy out for a million bucks, a million and a half. Uh, Tolliver, you can buy out for two million bucks. So again, you can clear a ton of cap space and have young players. But you can't swing and miss again and again. And so... I think they are in on a rebuild, but at the same time, I'm going to give this caveat. If this team, and, and if you look at their schedule coming up, they've got Charlotte uh, on Saturday. They've got Minnesota on Monday. They've got the Nets on, I think it's Wednesday. They could start snowballing and all of a sudden get on a little bit of a run, and they could easily pop right up. And they're half game out of the eight spot right now. And if they're playing this team style, this fun, everyone's having a good time, everyone's sharing, everyone's, you know, playing uh, style that they're doing right now, you never know. You never know what's going to happen because that it's the NBA. You, that's why they play the games type deal. And I, I don't fear Denver. I don't fear Portland. I don't fear Dallas. Uh, I, none of these teams, even the Pelicans, don't fear them. They're all in the same you know, middle of the road pack right now. And if you're the Kings and this team starts winning and you're already playing young players, there's no way to further tank. Mm -hmm. And I think that growing and learning and, and letting this thing play out, you have to build a winning culture. And a lot of times winning cultures start with actually trying to win, not trying to lose, which the Kings have done for probably the last four years and the last 20 games of the season. So, hey, this is, again, seven years covering this team. This is the furthest into the season they've ever been in it, in it. Wow. And the fans appreciate winning, too. So you make a lot of good points about that. It's it's not always black and white to tank or not to tank. So I, yeah. think, I think that's important to remember. A lot of people have talked about the change in culture, general manager, owner. Dave Yeager mentioned culture repeatedly in that press conference after the trade. What potential sources of dysfunction remain, if any? I know they've also waived Matt Barnes. I'm just going to tell you, looking around this locker room, first of all, I called and did my my due diligence on the three guys they brought in. For I already knew Tyreek, so I didn't need to do due diligence on him. But Buddy Hild and Langston Galloway. I was told unequivocally Langston Galloway is the nicest player that anyone has ever met in the NBA. 
that he Ugh. greets media members and tells people specifically, ask them, how are you doing today? Insert name. <laughs> that he is a genuine, spectacular human being. So I'm going to take that at face value. I know that Buddy Heald is known around the league as a incredible character guy. That's what he was coming out of the draft. A huge smile, a huge character guy. I'll tell you, Scal Labissiere is a breath of fresh air. And then if you go down the list, Ty Lawson is so funny. Uh, I know he's got a bad rap, and I know people inside that locker room, they love Ty Lawson. They love Darren Collison. They love Costa Kufis. They love Anthony Tolliver. Uh, Garrett Temple is a leader for any team. And if you look at Temple and, and uh, Tolliver, both of them won teammate of the year with their team last year. So I know the Kings keep saying character, 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 and it matters. I don't see one person in that locker room that has a massive character flaw. And I'm going to back that up just a bit and say, look, someone can point out to me that Darren Collison got himself in trouble over the last summer. And I'm not going to stand up and say that uh, that I know 100% all of the things that happened in that situation. I'm just going to tell people that I'm again, I'm never going to stand up for domestic violence at all. Never going to stand for it. That was the last guy anyone ever thought that that would happen to. What happened there is not something that has carried over any way inside of a locker room. I think that sometimes one-offs happen, and I hope that that is what this is for Darren and his family. But again, everyone that is around Darren Collison thinks that he is a salt-of-the-earth, spectacular human being, that they don't mm. see a quote-unquote character issue that would be brought into a locker room. Now, again, he admitted guilt, and I'm not excusing any of that. I'm just telling you that there's no one in there who looks at him and says, oh, we, we have a character issue right here with this guy. And Understood. so, yeah, and so, again, you got 15 guys on a roster. There's not one bad guy in that group. I mean, it's a, a little bit of a kumbaya thing going on. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, hey, this is kind of a breath uh, of fresh air. I, again, seven years, I've never been in a locker room where there was not a single issue that was like standing out. But then again, you know, this team has had some characters. They, yeah. you know, they have to bring in who they bring in. You wrote that behind the scenes, Cousins was essentially kicking and screaming to stay. And as you cited yeah. earlier, he also had financial incentive to want to stay. But I mean, he loves the city of Sacramento. That's not in dispute. He had that heartfelt goodbye recorded on that cell phone that we've all seen. To me, that was really sad to watch, but also an important reminder of how he can often be a genuinely good guy off the court and how loyal he is. What was your reaction to that video? Uh, yeah. I mean, again, he's a big, lovable dude. I mean, I've had plenty of run-ins with him over seven years, but I'd say the last two years, he and I kind of came to an understanding of each other. We had some conversations, and we had a very, very good relationship as time has gone by. I genuinely think he's he's a good dude uh, who doesn't always do good things, but he's still, like, deep down, he cares um, you know, there's a situation where a uh, Grant high school football player was shot and killed before a, a playoff game and DeMarcus quietly reached out and paid for everything for that family. And they're, 
their pastor decided to go public with the fact that Cousins had done that. He wanted nothing to do with uh, with any credit for any of it. There was uh, he, he went and paid for scoreboards in high schools. He did his whole thing this summer where he he brought in teammates and they brought in youth uh, and and police and tried to marry the the police to the youth uh, of Sacramento and, and get them a better understanding of each other. They they did all kinds of role playing where they literally had kids sitting in chairs like they were sitting in a car and and showed them what it feels like to be a cop walking up to a car full of people not knowing what's going to happen and trying to build understanding between both the police and the kids. I mean, his stuff that he's done in the community is amazing. And I know um, he was emotional and that's it's not fake at all. He was in shock. He was absolutely crushed. And it was a huge financial situation for him as well, but he was absolutely crushed. Uh, I mean, there's no other way to say it. Uh, I feel for him in that situation, but I'm also going to say this. When you make a commitment, when someone makes a commitment to you, you got to follow the rules and, and follow the guidelines that are set forth. And it's a two-way street. You know, you can't just earn uh, a $219 million contract on the court. And you can't just earn it in the community. You have to earn it every day in the locker room. You got to earn it every day with the officials. You got to earn it every day with everyone that you're around. And again, that's part of the reason why I don't think he's in Sacramento anymore. On Friday, Cousins said about how the Kings handled the trade, quote, it was a coward move. At least to me, those words from him undoubtedly stem from him feeling like the Kings weren't loyal enough to be honest with him about what was going on and give him a heads up as opposed to misleading him and the general public that he was going to be staying with the franchise. He keeps it real. We know that. And I think that's a rare quality that can be really refreshing at times in people, but it's also gotten him into trouble a lot when he should just not say anything or be more diplomatic. Do you think that's a fair assessment of what's what's been happening with him? Yeah, I don't think there's any way to, for him to be diplomatic. And in this situation, to understand Marcus Cousins, uh, his brand is loyalty. It's it's tattooed on his body. He has sweatshirts and hats. I mean, it's that's his brand. It's loyalty. And he does not trust people hardly at all. He has a very tight inner circle. Uh, it takes a long time to build trust, to build a relationship with him. All of us in the media knew that. Some people wanted to put in the time to earn that trust and to work with him and to sort of get past just this, you know, sort of enormous man that you had no idea what you were going to get every night when you walked into a locker room. But they violated his trust. And to him, that is a coward's way. And I mean, I'm am I shocked he said that? Absolutely not. Do I think he should have been more diplomatic? Uh, absolutely not. Because when you play with fire all the time, you got to know that you're going to get burned. And, you know, for him, the Kings have always played with fire. They knew exactly what they were dealing with there, all of them. And they violated his trust. And I, I, there's no way around that. They told him one thing, and they did something completely different. But you know, it's tough. You know, I, and you asked earlier about value. Did they get the right value for him or not? 
And I, I heard this somewhere. I can't remember where it was. And someone said, you have a house and everyone tells you it's worth two million bucks. And you just go on with this assumption that the whole time that you live in a two million dollar house and then you go to sell the house. And the best offer you ever get is a million dollars. The fact is, at that point, you have to come to the realization that you have a million dollar house. You, you are only worth what someone is willing to pay for you. And people who come out afterwards and say, oh, we would have given you more. You know what? You wouldn't have. You, you didn't have a young player. You didn't have a high draft pick. And you didn't have an expiring contract. The Kings had already done their research on who had all of those things checked, all those boxes checked. And that's who they went to. And so, I, I mean, it's a difficult situation to understand why they didn't get more. Yeah. But half half the teams in the league either had no interest in Cousins or had no ability to make a trade for him. And it's probably more like two-thirds or 75% of the league had no way to actually come up with either the assets or uh, the cap space or the willingness to even accept him into the locker room. And mm-hmm. so... It's not as easy as it as it appears. What we've talked about, I think, is really complex, and you've done a good job of, of breaking it down for us. But I have two yes or no questions for you. The first one is, and I know this is a tough one, did the Andy Ferrillo incident expedite his departure, do you think? No. Okay. I and, think it, it played into a bigger, bigger picture, yeah, but no. Part of a big narrative. And then the other one I was going to ask you is, really good sign potentially for Willie Cauley Stein to have more room to operate and grow now that Cousins isn't around? Yeah, and I think that goes for maybe five players on this team where they all of a sudden have an opportunity to do something that they couldn't have done before. Okay, cool. I really appreciate you coming on. I wanted to say one thing about the column that you wrote on Tuesday. I really enjoyed it. The ending, though, I thought was so cool. I'm just going to read it quickly. For the last seven seasons, the Sacramento Kings have been the most interesting bad basketball team in the league. Relocation is over, and now DeMarcus Cousins is gone. The focus will now be strictly on hoops, which might be the scariest proposition of all. I hope you're not scared, though. I think it's going to be exciting to see what happens with the Kings. I obviously wish Cousins well, too. Do you have any closing thoughts on on this whole situation? Um, I it's it's so hard to explain. Like, uh, I mean, I I, I had uh, conversations with other media members last night, and I think a lot of us in Sacramento have a little bit of Stockholm syndrome. And I don't know if people know what that is, but you uh, you your tend captor, to you identify with your captor, right? You identify with your captor. And I think most of us, we like DeMarcus. We wish him best. We don't know that this was the best thing for the franchise or not. But at the same time, I've covered the team for seven years. And in the best season, I watched 49 losses. And people say, well, how many wins? 49 losses. That's the best season in seven years. And that is absolutely brutal for anyone to go through. So I'm okay with starting fresh. I wish him nothing but the best, his people nothing but the best. He's got some great friends, and I appreciate my time with him. For me, it was intellectually stimulating to deal with him on a daily basis, and I will miss that aspect of it. But I also would like to see something different, 
uh, because watching his greatness every single night on a basketball court, I get, and, and I appreciate it. And uh, I believe, honestly, he's the best big man in the league, and he's one of the more unique players to ever step on a, on an NBA basketball court. But sometimes that's not enough. And uh, I think everyone wanted more, and I don't think he has that more to give. And so, again, I wish the Pelicans luck, and I hope that it all works out. And this is like the greatest thing that ever happened for all sides involved. I I just don't know where anyone goes from here. Uh, I can't predict anything. It's like trying to predict Dave Yeager's starting lineup. I, I will not and cannot tell you who he's starting on each and every night. Fortunately, that's not your job. It was great talking with you, and keep up the tremendous report. Thanks, Aaron.